Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Your Living Proof Podcast. We're excited to be with you today. Today's episode 42. Yep. We're gaining some some momentum now. Yeah, we are. And we've had a lot of really, really awesome episodes lately. And this one is going to also be one of those that we're telling everyone to send it to all your friends because it's yeah, going to be sound so the alarm. It's a good one. And if you missed our last episode, which you probably did not make sure and tune in. Um, we yep. had a very special guest on her name was Tammy Hill. And, uh, it was mind blowing the information she shared. I agree. She she just has so much insight on on how the sexual um, addictions and and even just the poor coping Confusion skills and that happen to so many young kids translate into major marital problems and just how to address it in your home. She's she's a mother of twelve, so she knows she knows these issues back and forth so it was yeah. just it was a it very was it was just eye-opening for us even as parents aside from what we do for a living just it was incredible and it changed the way i look at things absolutely so, agree it's today we're really awesome. excited like she said i'll let the beautiful blonde introduce our guest yes i am i have been very much looking forward to this episode um we have chris mckenna on today and chris is the founder of protect young eyes a lot of you probably already follow chris if you don't on social not, media yeah but just in case you aren't following him you're gonna just stop right now and then go to instagram and go follow protect young eyes and i'm gonna introduce chris by reading his bio and i just want to say that none of these things are lies like everything that i'm going to read is facts they're true things and it's going to blow your mind so chris mckenna Founder of Protect Young Eyes, former middle school youth director, and author of multiple resources for families and churches, including Parenting the Internet Generation, Exposed, Breaking the Silence of Porn, that's for teens, and How to Heal and Protect Your Ministry from Pornography. His 2019 U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee testimony was the catalyst for new online child protection laws and earned Protect Young Eyes the Dignity Defense Alert Award in 2020. The Protect Young Eyes team performs hundreds of presentations at schools, churches, and nonprofits, receives over a million visits to their popular website annually, and was featured in the Childhood 2.0 movie. Chris is the Digital Marketing Director at Covenant Eyes, is married to Andrea, enjoys family road trips, nature, running, candy, Yes. And <laughs> is the father to four children. Wow. So that is quite the intro, but he is awesome. And we're so excited to get to have you on the show today. Yeah, boy, it's so great to meet you. I've also followed your work, love what you do, and this is going to be amazing. So Danny and Emily, I just can't wait. Thank yeah. you. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for being on. I, is it okay if I start? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to kind of connect the two pieces as, of us being here together today. I deal with people who are now suffering from addictions to typically things like substances, whether it be drugs, prescription drugs, alcohol, yeah. people who have self-medicated and over time developed these addictions and now they have life-threatening situations. There are always different reasons that caused this to begin. 
there's always when you look at the very beginning and said what happened like what was the, what was the reason this this started you know there are different reasons but in the last few years i've noticed a pattern and that is anyone who's under the age of 40 it began with pressure confusion troubles that were given to them in their life in the form of technology whether it was pornography at young age whether it was the pressure of social media never amounting to enough whether it was bullying through these devices that we have all of these individuals who are now what society would look at as these condemned souls of these these drug addicts so to speak right they were a really good kid a really good boy or a really good girl who at some point had technology causes confusion in their life. And I just see it time and time again. So I'm so excited to talk about the single biggest threat that pushes people down the wrong path and eventually leads to self-medicating and ultimately into addictions. Because what I've seen in my experience is one of two things happens. When pornography is introduced at a young age or the pressures of social media or the negative consequences of technology cause one of two situations. One is they become depressed, anxious. They kind of fail to thrive. They're sucked into this world where they never fit in and they're stuck. And sometimes they even become suicidal. Or they find a substance or something that takes away that pressure and unwanted feelings that was caused by these things. And so I just see that it goes to one of those two and neither of those are what a parent would want. So I think to kick it off, we would just love for our listeners to hear what you're doing, an introduction to your approach, and sure, what are a few things they can just start doing? Everybody wants a few things, like right? what are they a few? Do, right? Yeah. yeah, give me, give me the, give me the two things that'll solve yeah. all my technology <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in my home. Chris. Solve this, yeah. yes. We just can't yeah. wait to hear what you have to say. Thank you. Sure. So I started Protect Young Eyes seven years ago this week. To be honest, wow. um, the website launched. Yeah, the website launched in 2015 coming out of a season when I was a middle school youth director for a large church here in Grand Rapids. And that was after a fabulous business career that I had with Ernst and Young. So I had a mind for fixing things. And the Lord called me into ministry because middle school ministry is so much like being a CPA, not at all. And <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's God's sense of humor. But what it allowed me to do from 2009 to 2016 was watch the introduction of portable internet into the human race, right? Like that's the time when that happened. And I started watching middle schoolers bring devices instead of their Bibles because the Bible then was on their device. And all of these things just created a lot of questions for parents. So honestly, I simply started a closed Facebook group that wanted to try to answer parents' questions around something they didn't understand. And it was that simple until... I started to see that there were very few people back in 2014, 2015, having these conversations because it was so new, very few other than a couple orgs. I mean, even fight the new drug was still new at that point. We're even talking about the impact of digital pornography on the lives of people. And that was a talk that I was starting at my church back in 2013, 2014, just to talk about my own addiction, which started in childhood and all the things that I was seeing become more complicated you know, I fell into the two-dimensional porn trap, and now I'm watching this streaming version of porn put in the pockets of kids and going, wait, why isn't anybody freaked out about this? And so that just started a lot of conversations, which led to the website, which led to, you know, a lot of things over the past seven years in this space, right? So that's that's sort of the beginning. So I'm a, I'm a dad who saw a need. 
I'm not a tech guy. I want people to hear that because I think it's easy to buy into the lie because fear is sinister in this way that you have to be some kind of expert in order to lead your children into using technology in a good, honorable, positive way. And I don't believe that for a minute because I'm not that guy, right? I'm a CPA who went into youth ministry who just simply wanted to understand the young people that I was dealing with better. And I think through just a little bit of understanding about how young people are created, how their brains develop through adolescence, then you see more clearly why they make the choices that they do. And that at the end of the day, you know, Emily and Danny, we were no different. Our brains were no different. We had the same longings and tendencies and temptations and desires to belong and to have friends and to have hormones that were raging. All of those things were the same back in the 80s and the 90s as they are today. The difference is we have technologies that hook into those ways in which we were created in different ways than the media that we experienced as young people. So there's a lot that that I could unpack in each of those things. But first, I want people to hear that you can do this. There, there are ways in which very non-technical, you know, people who don't get technology at all ways, you can still lead your kids. As I say to often grandparents, so I love it when grandparents come to my parent talks. It's like, I'm not asking you to love this ticky-tock Snapchatty thing. And they all <laughs> laugh when I say that. Yeah. But I'm asking them to better understand why their grandkids do. Yeah. And by better understanding why young people love these apps, which is almost as simple as neurology at times, I think it helps us approach their decisions, the choices, the things they look at with a ton more empathy than just a simple, why did you look at that? I can't believe you did that because that doesn't help them at all. And so I just, I want to start with that sort of relational empathetic side, because I think that we can lead with that. Even if you don't get all the bits and bites and zeros and ones, you can lead with that. And I still think have a ton of success in helping our young people use these devices better. Amen. I agree a hundred percent. Wow. The connection is, is so key having that connection, yep. whether yep. you understand it or not. I mean, and on any topic, it, yeah. it really boils down to that. I love that because I think there is a lot to be said about that struggle, parents, and that you kind of go into a little bit of depth on that in the childhood 2.0, where it's like, parents, we grew up feeling like our biggest threat was getting kidnapped. Oh my gosh, what if you get kidnapped when you're playing outside? Like that was a legit fear of ours. And now we're shifting to where we have to be wide awake to the fact that there is a way bigger monster out there than anything. Your, your kids are much safer playing outside and t- taking that risk of possibly getting kidnapped than they are sitting inside in your living room on their phone for eight hours a day. Yeah. Well, and Chris said something that caught my attention. We do, we do these workshops and there's this analogy or Well, it's a personal experience I share with people. And he, he said the word two-dimensional. Yeah. Deal. That was mine too. So... Hopefully everyone understands that. But back in the day, I was curious. Hormones were raging. Me and my buddies wanted to know what a naked woman looked like. So in order to do that required effort, it required like a team effort. We went to a certain but friend's house whose dad had Playboys, these magazines, right? We had to lift up the bed. Someone would pull the chest out. Someone's looking in the window to make sure his dad doesn't come up. And this is all for a two-dimensional image on a piece of paper. Yeah. 
Yeah. But the key is we had to look for it. Nowadays, even if someone's not looking for it, it's going to find them. And we keep screaming this from the rooftops that no matter what kind of firewalls, protection you have in place, routers you put in your home, there is absolutely no avoiding it. It's coming at you. And the key is learning to overcome it on your own. What are your thoughts yeah. in that regard? No, you're absolutely right. It used to be a pursuit and now it pursues us. I had the same exact experience, right? That running down the road to Matt Carlson's house and this guy's going to show up at one of my presentations someday. I'll be like, dude, you ran me out. <laughs> yeah. right? You know, um, and it was that, you know, trying to find strategic friends who had Showtime, Cinemax or HBO because I didn't. That was the worst that could happen to me. And then MTV, oh my gosh, you're going to rot your brain. But, <laughs> you know, as if as if watching Cinemax through static like we all did is anything like what kids have access to today and adults have access to, right? Whether you're yeah. 4, 14 or 40, one-on-one -on -one with the internet, you eventually lose because it is a wow. pursuing tool instead of a tool that I have to go pursue myself. And that's the difference is the, I have a slide that I use as kind of an ending slide in most of my talks. It's also a post out on social media. And it starts off with, imagine growing up in a world if, and it lists out all of these bullets around the differences in what growing up today looks like compared to the analog childhoods that many of us dealt with. And all points to what I call the thinning. And what, it, what I mean by that is there used to be a pretty wide gap now, I grew up in a small town, rural Michigan. There used to be a pretty wide gap that existed between the places that were helpful to my childhood and the places that were harmful to my childhood. There was a physical distance, a relational distance, something that made it pretty clear where the good and not good places were when it came to my childhood. And I had to exert great effort and strategy and have a flow chart in place if I was going to span that gap between the places where mom and dad said I could be and the places I couldn't, especially in a small town where everybody mm -hmm. knew everybody, right? Yep. Yeah. That has become a very thin gap. And what I mean by that is children these days, almost daily throughout the day are towing the line between the places that are helpful to their lives and the places that can radically change the trajectory of their life. I think a school-issued Chromebook is a perfect example of that. Here's a device that a child is supposed to use for homework, to focus, and to get good grades in. And yet it's the same exact device that is designed with addictive tendencies and pop-ups and chats. And I can still get to discord.com and I'm three clicks away from porn if the school isn't monitoring it correctly. The same exact device that has this helpful intent has this mixed intent that can radically change the direction of my life. Those used to be radically different things when we were growing up. Yeah. And so kids are always living in a spot where the device or the thing that can help them can also hurt them. And that's a difficult place to exist as a child, especially when you understand their brains and the ability or inability for them to consistently make wise choices, which isn't their fault because of the way their brain is constructed and being reconstructed and put back together in adolescence. It's as if we, as parents, we get upset at the fact that children with childlike brains make decisions like children when we put adult, seemingly godlike technology in front of them. And I would just assert that that's not their fault. 
they, they have no chance to consistently make good decisions inside of apps and devices that are actually designed in direct like conflict with the way in which their brains are wired at times. Yeah. And to me, that's just not their fault. And if you understand, no, I'm not saying no consequences. There need to be some consequences, but that gets back to when you understand what's going on and it's a podcast, so people can't see me. I'm pointing at my head. When you understand what's going on up here, like in your head, then you more clearly and with more empathy, understand why they make the digital choices that they do. And the goal being as a parent, can you exit a difficult discussion about a difficult choice that a kid made with technology with more trust than when you started. And I think the only way to do that is if you approach them with empathy from the beginning. Oh, that is so, so powerful. I love that. It's connection. It's keeping the connection. That's what we talked a lot about on our last podcast. It's keeping that connection at all costs. At all costs. Regardless of how disappointed you may feel in their decision. And, and that's a tough spot to be in a parent as a parent, but, yeah. but not allowing that disappointment to interfere with your relationship because that has to be intact in order for them to survive this time in their life where they're, like you said, their brains are literally still developing. I mean, until they're in their 20s, they don't have the ability to self-regulate the way we we struggle as adults to still do, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, it yeah. is. And I, I, what resonated with me that you just shared is the distance between those good places and bad places is, is so close together. Oh, it's crazy. Because literally, we were all stupid too when we were younger. I did dumb things. I was curious. We all had adolescent brains. We get older and we forget that we were the same. Like we forget that we had the same challenges. But like you said, I was thinking when you said that there were places when certain friends, I was, I was, I guess, introduced or tempted to do certain things I shouldn't opposed to other areas and certain friends and groups. But that the distance between these places, like you described, was a very long bike ride. Like it was hours of pedaling or figuring out a ride. So they were legitimately distanced in a physical way. Now they're right on top of each other and you don't actually have to pedal on your bike for four hours to get to that dangerous place. Yeah. No, no, not at all. And, you know, and that's just the, dare I say, like the pornography part of this is almost the easy part of this conversation. What do I mean by that? Like, it's easy to go, that's porn and stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Right. And what, what's more difficult, I just had this conversation last night. I did a talk at a, a Catholic church here in, in Grand Rapids, and we had a pretty long conversation about TikTok. Okay. Now we could talk, we could do a whole episode on TikTok. We're not, we're not going to, but one of the things that is most subtle and sinister about TikTok is that it's not porn. Therefore, it's difficult for parents to know, why do I hate this app? They can't point to something as binary as this is porn and this isn't, and I'm not going to give my kid the thing that has porn, but why shouldn't I give them TikTok? All their friends have it. There's a pretty deep conversation that we need to have about TikTok because of its subtle ways of hijacking this extremely vulnerable under construction brain during a critically developmental time. And again, it comes from understanding what changes our kids are going through. So humans, people generally go through four phases of 
identity development, right? This idea of self, who am I and where do I belong, right? Body, emotions, language, and then true identity, who am I? When you're a young baby, your body is about the only thing that you've got to express who you are. You poop, you pee, and you eat. And so you're looking, yourself is looking to the outside world for affirmation from other human beings that you're okay. And the way you're expressing this question of am I okay is through my body. Are they going to take care of me? If they take care of me, I'll feel good. Then your emotions come online and you start to smile, right? When you think about your own kids, like the whole house stops when the baby smiles for the first time. Yeah. You are just drawn to mm -hmm. a smiling baby. You know, as they say to my talks, even mean people smile at babies. You just can't help yourself because <laughs> it's almost as if we're created. And I believe that we were, we were created to give that baby visual affirmation through our emotions that they're okay. Yeah. That a smile means something. That interactions with other people mean something. And then we get to language and then learning how to talk. Like, that's a truck. That's a plane. And they're always like looking for you to affirm in them that that's the right word for that thing. Because their language is looking for affirmation from other humans around them that that phase of their development is correct and accurate. And then come the big questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? What's the meaning of all this that starts to come into play in those tween and teen years? Now, when you guys were growing up, and I think we're, I don't, we haven't asked each other how old we are, and I'm not <laughs> going to, but I, I, we're close enough to go. When we were growing up, the voices that were invited into answering that question were pretty limited. It was family, it was neighbors, it was church, it was a smaller group of people. And more often than not, they were people who cared about you. Therefore, they were going to give you an answer in the spirit of caring about you. They had some thing that they liked, and so they were going to give you an answer with great care. The difference today, and this is so important for every parent and grandparent and, and guardian to, to know, the difference today is that we have multiplied the mirrors that are sitting in front of our young people times a thousand, times tens of thousands call it accounts of influencers on Instagram or extremely like neurologically intoxicating videos on TikTok. We have put a thousand different mirrors in front of them during one of the most critical developmental times of their lives. And we're wondering why they're so confused, so distorted in how they see things, not sure of who they are. What's my identity? What's my gender? What's all these things, right? It's no wonder when you put so many different opinions in front of them from people who really don't care about who they are, that they're exiting adolescence and existing inside of adolescence so confused on uh, what is what. And I would assert that if we existed during this time, we would all be feeling the exact same things. The trend oh, yeah. lines would be saying the exact same Absolutely. things. Absolutely. That, that's a, a part of this that when I look at TikTok, it's not that, well, all the stuff in TikTok is bad. It's just that I think in TikTok, we're inserting a lot of different opinions and thoughts about who I am, what's good, what the meaning of things are in a time where we should have very few voices and voices that care about them answering those developmental questions. So to me, that's one of the more subtle ways in which technology is derailing a ton of kiddos and we're not having enough conversation about that part of it. Yeah. Wow. 
That's so listening powerful. to you is very powerful. I, I mean, not only are you intelligent and articulate, you get it, you understand it, but just looking in your eyes, people can't see that, you know, most everyone's listening to podcasts is listening. They're at the gym, they're going for a walk, they're driving in their car, right. but looking in Chris's eyes, I mean, it is, it is so obvious to just feel the spiritual confirmation in these things that you're saying to see the passion that you have from this. It's, it, it is truly like a calling from God that must make you feel like you're screaming from the rooftops about the single biggest thing that's impacting every family. There's, I always say there's political turmoil. There's these Ill, like viruses going around the country. There's a million things that we're all facing, but there is nothing more universal having a negative impact and affecting homes than this. Yeah. And you know, if you guys are listening and you're not following, because I, I think it's safe to say everyone's like saying, okay, well, what can I do? What's something I can do? And we'll get into yeah. that. But yeah, first of all, following him on social media, we all know and wish there was a way that we could share this information that wasn't on that platform, social media. But yeah, the irony is we're saying yeah, it is ironic. find out more on social but media. But it's not like, hey, you know, you, you can go and look him up in the yellow pages. It is information that is free that he shares abundantly which are constant reminders certain things to look out for current threats or trends and it is it is powerful information yeah so if you want some free information and free reminders you've got to follow him because his content is incredible it it truly is it's it's life-changing and i i can't agree more with your your mission and what what you're doing if i were satan and i were going to try to take over the world, I would do exactly what is happening right now, which is take over, go, go for the, the children and the youth and those that aren't quite able to see the dangers that are in front of them quite yet. Um, and he, he is sinister and it's happening in a way that even parents are still stuck struggling with these things. So they are supposed to be the life preservers and they are not even able to save themselves. And I think that's where, you know, we're really trying to help parents say, you you can't expect your kids to do things that you're not willing to do yourself. Number one. And this age, these tender ages that they're, they're having to think about what you just said, which is who am I? And I'm sorry, I'm, I'm 40 years old. And if I'm looking to the, to Instagram or TikTok to tell me if I'm doing good enough, I'm very sad. (laughs) I I, I already lost, (laughs) you know, if that's my, if that's my barometer, then I'm in big trouble. Hey, what was that film called that childhood 2.0? Yes. This film. And we want to, you can tell people where to find this, but there's a film childhood 2.0 and there was a portion in there that caught my attention. I think it was, was it in Congress? There was a... Yeah, it was the Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary um, Committee. There was an older guy and he says, you know, when they're confronting these issues and discovering all of the challenges that this is producing for young people, he was a little bit older and he said, you know, I'm going to be dead. Yeah. But... He was. Yeah. yeah he yeah. said, I'm going to be dead, but I really hope I am when the... Sh- hits the fan yeah from all of these things yeah because he's like heaven help me this is scary what's like, going to happen yeah well and that but that points to so yeah i believe that was the commerce committee with tristan harris yes the founder that's what it was that's what it was center for yeah the center for humane technology the guy behind the social dilemma who's he's fabulous too i have nothing but positive things to say about tristan and his team 
But there's funny, not funny element to that statement from that legislator. We have issues in front of us that demand legislative attention. Now, I'm not a guy who wants the government telling me how to parent my kids, right? But from the beginning of our industrialized nation, here's our pattern of behavior when it comes to certain industries. We want them to innovate and to flourish because we're America. Go make money, do your thing. And that's great. It's part of what makes us amazing. Yet we allow that to happen for such a period of time until it starts to do harm to humans. And then we try to rein it back in. We've always done this, whether it was with food, meat, sugar, oil, nicotine, paints, nicotine, whatever it is, flourish. And then we have to wait for the science to catch up to prove how we can put some guardrails around it. So we're sort of at this time now where we're starting to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. People aren't healthy. (laughs) People are not all awesome because of their use of technology. And the science is barely keeping up. So where, where I'm going with this is there's there are layers that we depend on to protect us when it comes to these sorts of things, right? There's the industry themselves, which almost never raise their hands and self-regulate effectively until they're forced to, and they're often forced to with laws. Then there's laws that help keep them in check. And then there are other layers like school and parents before you get to kids, where you put the responsibility on kiddos. Like that's our, those are our five layers that are, you know, in society are meant to protect kids, right? You have the companies, the laws, the parents, the schools, and then Ultimately, if all of them fail, you're hoping that the kids figure it out themselves, which is what we don't want um, oftentimes. But we're at a time where that legislative layer, because the issues are so complicated, like no other industry, they simply don't understand them. Therefore, they don't know how to legislate in order to rein them in. That's our biggest struggle right now, which is why it's so difficult. And I'm going to say things and people may, may or may not like them, but you know, this is the world I live in and I, I kind of see both sides and I see behind the curtain. We also live in a time with businesses that are rich and full of money and the lobbying machine that they have built to come up against great ideas to protect kids is at times almost insurmountable. So we just have a lot of things working against us in that layer that legislatively is supposed to build some guardrails around these technologies. And again, I don't want them telling me how to use tech with my kids, but not every child in America has kids who care or have parents who care about their digital well-being. Therefore, some laws are necessary to prevent egregious harm to vulnerable and exploited children too. And that's that's what we're missing. So there's a whole nother you know, conversation we could have about the legislative side, but it's important to understand that it's failing at the moment and we need to work hard there. And, you know, there's a lot of people trying to work on that side too. So. Yeah. I love that. And that was actually one of the quotes that I wrote down from that movie was you saying some of the guardrails that would be necessary to keep an industry accountable have been set aside in the spirit of innovation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm all about it, but we need, we need some guardrails. So I I do want to, I don't want anyone to be going, oh my gosh, quit beating me up. Where's the hope McKenna? Where's the hope, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) (laughs) because that it's not all doom and gloom. And what I mean by that is not every kid, you know, I described some of the identity and TikTok and some of these things, not every child who you drop inside of social media turns out harmed. 
right? And so it's important to understand. The difficulty is it's not linear. There isn't a formula where I can go, this type of kid and this type of social media turns out this way. And that's what makes it so difficult. I often describe it as like a, you know, a good soup or a gumbo or wherever you happen to live. I have to change my illustration. But (laughs) The, you know, the herbs and the spices do different things to the vegetables and the meat that you put inside because everything you drop in is different nooks, crannies, and crevices. And our children are the same way. Their nooks, crannies, and crevices are their neurology and their genetics and the way that we've parented them and have they had any adverse childhood experiences. And all of those things create a very complicated, amazing human being, which are their nooks, crannies, and crevices that we drop inside of digital soup. And some kids pick up this, some kids pick up this, and some kids pick up this. Others seem to have some you know, resilience to picking things up. And it's difficult to know what the outcome is going to be because there are so many variables. But there are some things that the science is starting to bring to light. For example, it's becoming abundantly clear that It's not so much that screen time is the problem because what's good and bad screen time these days is watching the smart TV screen time because it's kind of like a big smartphone on the wall. What do I do with that, right? It's that social media specifically seems to have more significant correlations to certain trend lines related to depression and anxiety than other types of screen time. Okay, so that's becoming clear. Another thing that's becoming clear is that when you compare guys and girls, girls tend to be disproportionately negatively impacted by social media when compared to boys. In other words, the correlation is stronger with girls in terms of negative outcomes, answering survey questions around feelings of hopelessness or depression. Those trends are higher in girls than in boys, right? So that's just something, not all, but just parents need to know that. On the other side, what is fascinating is that the things that are natural in terms of removing stress and anxiety from our lives, sleep, prayer, nature, activity, great friendships, mindfulness, breathing, all of these things that naturally help us remove cortisol and other stress, you know, neurochemicals from our body that worked before technology still work after the introduction <laughs> yes. of technology believe it or not. in our lives, right? And so it's not so much for everybody that social media causes things, that's difficult to prove, but is it robbing us of those natural things, doing those natural things, therefore it mirrors that it's causing it. It could simply be we're sleeping less. And for a lot of teens, that's it. And when you remove sleep from a teen, based on what's going on inside of their brain, that is toxic to a developing teenager. And the whole world starts to fall apart. So they do start to feel more depressed and anxious. But the root cause is actually they're not sleeping enough because they're concerned about notifications all night long, right? That kind of thing. Sure. Another thing that a fascinating study, two of them actually that came out just in March and another one in April, is that when you look at, again, girls, teen girls who are high users of social media, There's one thing that girls who end up not feeling depressed who are high users of social media have in common, and that is they all have awesome in-person friendships. Boom. Isn't that fascinating? Shocking. Shocking, right? That even if you're a teen girl who the science would say you're at greater risk of being negatively impacted and you use a ton of social media, if you have amazing in-person relationships 
that tends to offset the negative impacts of social. I mean, go figure. We were made yeah. for a relationship. Mind yeah. blowing, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So okay. these are things that just I think it's important for parents just to sort of understand all the variables, understand what the science is telling us, understand that we're also seeing that two developmental times in a young person's life tend to also correlate with higher numbers around depression and feelings of hopelessness. And that is during puberty and when kids go to college. Mm. Those two transitions tend to have a stronger correlation with feelings of depression and hopelessness than other periods in human beings, you know, development. And as I've talked to parents about this, particularly the college one, which is fascinating, is going to college is a tough thing, right? There's a lot that goes on during that transition. And it's easy when you're looking at a millisecond of perfectly polished perfection from all of your friends who are at their college experiences, and you're comparing that to your difficulties that you're having for you to start to feel depressed about that. Oh, yeah. In other words, social media sort of reinforces the you're the only one feeling this way because their life is perfect. Yep. And that makes it more difficult. So these are just things that it's important for us to understand the complexity. It's not that every kid you drop in social media turns out a certain way, but by understanding what some of the risks are, you can be more attuned to what your kid's experiencing so you can have that connection, as you guys say, in that conversation all along the way. Yep. Two of the mantras that we live by is one, it is our secrets that keep us sick. Those things that you're doing in secrecy that no one else knows. And if you don't have an authentic connection with someone to talk about those struggles, that secret will fester and get turned into a monster in the closet that is just terrifying. Second of all is the opposite of addiction is connection. And they're going to be negatively impacted. I think about the comparison that we all had when we were younger. Now people are comparing themselves to this, this world that's filtered and photoshopped and fake but we used to always compare ourselves there was always the guys i looked at the jocks and the way they dressed and how big their muscles were or even when i was younger there was always that kid in my neighborhood that had the best bike and mine never seemed as good we're always doing the same things we had the same challenges the same threats we had the same struggles that young people do it's just we were we didn't have the smorgasbord. Of- well, I mean, you take those threats and multiply them exponentially when you're not just looking at the kids on your street, you're looking at the world. Yeah. I mean, I even went through this when I became yeah. a mom in 2010. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, hold on. Everybody on social media looks like they love being a mom. Like, why do they look so happy? And I feel like I might die like i am really struggling like my baby is always crying and it's so interesting how it changes your perception of things so quickly and again i'm an adult i'm 30 years old yeah at that point you know and i'm like you're we're expecting children to to do this you know without hiccups and without problems it's a joke i mean we have to get real and be honest about how things affect us and do the things that are required, be the parent that, and and it's interesting because we can't ask our mom and dad, like, well, how did you, how did you help me do that? Like we have no one, we are it. We have to figure this out and we have to do it right. And, and how we approach it is going to dramatically affect how our children approach it. 
Yeah, I want to ask sure. the final question. But yes. Do you have anything else? No, go okay. ahead. Because we just have a few minutes left. But I just want to ask a question that I feel like if I was a parent or all the mothers that I've known and worked with who listen to this show, I feel pretty confident they're all wondering the same thing. Listening to Chris, it's apparent that he knows what he's talking about. He understands it. He gets it. He's able to articulate these things better than the average person. <laughs> but I've heard this story more times than I can count. Man, we just didn't know. When our kids were younger, everyone was getting phones. We gave them phones. And now they have either children that have become suicidal, ones that are addicted to their social media, ones that are now have started vaping or smoking marijuana or abusing Adderall because of the negative feelings that came into their life. So there's, there's one or two scenarios. It's all these parents are like, man, we did this and we didn't know it was going to have this outcome. And what can we do? Or it's the situation of people that have young children that are now getting to these phases in life and their eyes are a little bit more open now and we're a little more cautious, but here's the cliche question. There's not a one solution that's going to take all these problems away. But if a parent really wants to be proactive, they want to create that connection. They want to be playing offense instead of defense with these things in life. What, what, what would be just a few suggestions you have of places to start some resources that you offer? Just sure. none of these are going to be as the solution to all of our problems, but right. they're sitting there going, okay, okay. Yep. He knows. I'm willing to I, do I, whatever. I believe yeah. I do. Let's go. What, what can I do? Yeah, so if I could gather up every parent of every first, second, third grader on earth, this is what I would tell to them. All right, this is what I would say to them. This is what I would tell them. Yes. Let me get my yes. English straight. Just after you get done uh, complimenting me on the way I articulate, <laughs> articulate. things. Then you, you know, remind us right. that you're human and we all yeah, love that's you. Right. So that's yeah. great. Do this. But to me, that's you know a very critical age because you're often still in front of many of the things that we deal with in triage in your role and in my role all week long right so after these 7 years and you know hundreds and hundreds of talks i've noticed that parents who tend to have kids who use technology in a good positive god honoring way tend to do certain things persistently and consistently and we boiled those down into a framework because that's the way my consulting brain works is you need to make it a little bit linear and a little bit in a picture. Otherwise, I don't get it. So we call that the digital trust framework. And I know you've probably heard me mention it through the different channels that you, you've mentioned. Um, the digital trust framework, I believe, are five different behaviors. They're phrases in families that when done over time through and there's elementary school version of the digital trust framework. There's a middle school version and there's a high school version. And I truly believe that these things help mitigate the risk, digital risk around our kids. I can't eliminate it. And honestly, as a parent, I don't want to. If I eliminate all hardship and risk from my children, I just create a bunch of wimpy, unresilient kids who can't handle a world who is sometimes tough to us, right? Yeah. True, true. But I do want them to struggle within my loving bounds from time to time. But the digital trust framework are these words, copy me, co-play, curiosity, conversation, and coaching. And there's things wrapped around each of those. Copy me is the modeling. Would I want my children using their technology during those very critical early elementary school years just like me? Some of the things that exhibit uh, behavior, you know, behaviors around that modeling or that copy me is 
announcing your intentions. When I'm with my kids and I have my technology, if I'm going to check a text or take a phone call, announce that intention to them to let them know when I'm going to be done so I hold myself accountable for getting back to them because they're more important than what I'm about to do. It also looks like post with permission, something that I heard um, Adina who works at Bark say one time, she said that she asks her children for permission before posting photos of them online, which I think is a glorious and wonderful thing because you show to your children from a very young age that digital photos are important and permanent. And you can have a conversation about that, hopefully so that it sticks when they get older. Hmm. That's all wrapped up under copy me. Other examples you know, in the co-play is actually doing technology with our children that every internet connected device, if you're a minor in my house, every internet connected device is co-owned. Whether you are four, 14 or 18, if you're in my house, it's co-owned by me. And we do that very early. In other words, we never buy children or, and I say this to grandparents, don't ever buy digital devices for your grandchildren. I don't want children believing the fallacy of ownership because one-on-one -on -one with tech, we all lose. Everything is a family device and you use it together because I want kids very early on to know that technology is a we activity and not a me activity because we keeps us safe. This is why dad, me, I want my kids to know that I use Covenant Eyes. Why? Because even dad needs help using technology well, knowing my own weaknesses. This isn't a kid thing, this is a human thing. And that's all in that co-play, shoulder to shoulder. I watch YouTube or I play the switch with my kids so that my boys know that tech with dad is safe and good and that when the issues get harder, tech with dad is still safe and good. And I can talk to him about those things. So that's just, those are a couple of examples of the things, the illustrations, the practical, tactical things that we say to parents in that digital trust framework, I don't want to take up too much time. You know, they can read more about curiosity, conversation, and coaching and what those mean. But I firmly believe, based on a ton of evidence over you know seven years, that doing those five things throughout the lives of our children oftentimes lead to young people who learn how to use technology in a good, positive, God-honoring way. And it's different than how we were raised. So those are things we actually have to study and know and practice and do because we probably weren't modeled those things by our, you know, boomer parents because they, you know, it was a totally different analog time. So that is some of what I would say to those parents, if I could gather them all up just to give them some practical tools, we do a whole 90 minute talk just on that framework to give parents that kind of help. Wow. So awesome. I know. I'm just like, I'm just like We are going to have to have you come back on. <laughs> there must have to be a 2.0 really, yeah. but my beautiful wife, as always, because she does all the things that are important, but we'll link all of his yes, yes, all of his resources and ways to get a hold of him in the show notes. Yep, absolutely. I, I just want to say thank you as a father with young children who are experiencing this now, and it it was powerful for me to hear and confirm yes the threats, the the negativity side of it, but it's also empowering to understand the positives that we're learning from this, the the ways in which we can help empower our kids. We are firm yeah. believers. The workshops we do and other things are to help people realize that you cannot avoid this. It's not about avoidance. It's about empowering, educating, and creating that authentic connection so we can navigate through the challenges. We can talk about the mistakes and together we can figure out how to do this 
so that you don't have to go down a rabbit hole and have a secret that keeps you sick. And we're just so thankful to know you. We love the work that you do. I can't tell you how many times we've laid in bed when our kids are asleep. It's something you shared or posted, and we just talk about it. It's part of our prayers. It's something we're thankful for. So on behalf of everyone listening to this show, I just want to say thank you for the time that you just shared and what you did, the insight you just, you just gave us. Yes, and so everybody's going to be following Protect Young Eyes, and everybody will, you will want, it will be the best 90 minutes you've spent in a while to watch Childhood 2.0. Watch it with your spouse. Share it with a yeah. friend. It is so, so powerful. And then again, Chris has every amazing tool you need and it, you can find it all on his website and through his Instagram page. So we will link it all so that you know how to get a hold of him. And we're just so grateful. Thank yes, you so thank much. you for coming on. Yeah, thank you for being a part of this. It's, as you know, the enemy does not give up this ground easily. So we've got to stick together and fight together because um, it's worth it. The kids are worth it. So thank you for for joining me in this. You guys are yep. necessary and awesome, and I'm happy to be a part of it. So. Amen. Take an army. So That's thanks. It. Thanks, Chris. We'll see you.